Well, it's good to have you back, brother Marcus, Amy, and Mark and Rosie. God is definitely uh, enlarging the hearts of the leaders of our church. It's uh, doubly special to see Mark go. Uh, I think he was saved maybe uh, two, two and a half years ago. Is that right? Maybe two and a half years ago. And uh, to see you grow as a man of God and transform you and now ministering the gospel halfway around the world. It is indeed uh, a work of God's sovereign grace. And we rejoice with you and, and Rosie. And thank, we thank the Lord for the shims and their faithfulness uh, to the Lord in all things. And just to hear the work that's going on, you know, it's just um, one step forward and one step back, or half step forward and quarter of a step back. It's arduous ministry. Peter likened uh, sowing the gospel there to sowing um, seed in a, on cement. That's how difficult it is. But even in the midst of such difficulty, for us to know and hear of God's faithfulness and people's faithfulness to the Lord thrills our hearts. Please... Uh, let's continue to uh, unite ourselves in prayer for the uh, uh, Czech nation, praying for our missionaries abroad and all the countries that were mentioned. And as Bob shared, you know, we just came back from that missions conference um, uh, in Pinecrest. Hyun and I, and Bob went together. You know, it's kind of an amazing thing. My mom is from North Korea. She's from Pyongyang. And growing up, my mom didn't tell me like bedtime stories like uh, the, the three pigs and a wolf or uh, you know, some fairy tales or you know, Woody the Pooh stories. She would tell me stories about North Korea. I'm trying to go to sleep, you know, in elementary school. She's telling me about the war and the you know, river in Pyongyang and all these things. I'm like, Mom, how am I going to sleep? I <laughs> all these war stories. Well, she, you know, she would sing about North Korea and so on and so on. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm reading articles, seeing documentaries. A few months ago, I saw a video online about this guy that, a North Korean refugee, came out to China, and he went with a video camera, he went back to record what was going on in that country. They call it the largest concentration camp in all the world. And he recorded these um, video images of children starving to death on the streets um, in that country. Uh, video images of these kids, four, five, six years old, without shoes, scrounging for food on, on a dirt road. They were literally picking off uh, pieces of rice all off the ground and eating it. And seeing that image, um, it was seared in my heart. I felt like, well, I need to do something. I've I got to pray and ask God to uh, open doors for us, grant us opportunity. And that's when I started praying, um, the elders started praying, the shepherds, the, the pastors started to pray, and what do we know, there's a conference held here locally uh, this, this weekend, and we signed up for it, we were able to go, you know, Hyun and Nikki are praying for overseas missions as well, we are able to go, and you know, God just opened our eyes, expanded our horizons, and we're still many steps, steps away from being actually on, uh, on the ground there in the border area, even in North Korea. But we're closer than we were before. And God has opened our eyes, made, gave us some connections, and it seems like there are some opportunities for us to go there and to minister the gospel in China to, the, to Chinese people. 
to minister the gospel to their indigenous Koreans there, left over from when um, North Korea was, set, uh, was taken over, gospel to the Koreans there, gospel to over 300,000 North Korean refugees that are in that area living underground. And uh, for them, if they get caught by the Chinese authorities, they get sent back to North Korea, and it's illegal to flee that country, so they're immediately sent to concentration camps where they're punished, imprisoned, tortured, even executed. And so we're able to minister the gospel to them and even possibly go into North Korea. So um, we'll see uh, what God has in store for us. That is our desire. That is our prayer. That is our um, petition to God. So I ask you, all of you, to pray with us. To pray for Czech, Kazakhstan, Ireland, um, pray for Malaysia, and pray for China and North Korea as well. Life is short, and it'd be amazing if you uh, answered prayer, if uh, God would allow us to, in a small way, in a small measure, um, spread the gospel there in that area. Well, um, um, praise God. You know, I, d- I didn't want to get, you know, just hearing about God's work and check really stirred my heart. Uh, seeing and hearing so many things this weekend stirred my heart as well. Well, uh, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Give you guys the minute just to briefly respond and uh, pray for these nations, and I'll close in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, acknowledge that you are a missionary God, that you desire all men to be saved. You have called us to go into every nation and to proclaim the gospel, the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, His saving work on the cross, that men might hear and be saved. You've, you declare, O oh Lord, that in heaven every tribe, tongue, and people group be represented in your kingdom, O oh God. So it is your desire that we would go and herald the gospel so that the gospel would cover this earth as the water covers the sea. O oh Lord, we desire, it is our prayer that you would help you grant us to be a small part of your kingdom work throughout this world. And you would uh, begin in our hearts by causing us to be a church that prays. You would, by causing us to be a people that uh, calls upon your name, interceding on behalf of all these nations, all these people that are without Christ, who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, they're, being, they're bound in sin, living in darkness, uh, oppressed by evil of uh, this world and evil men in this world. Oh Lord, you would cause us to be on our knees, um, reaching out to these people by prayer, and you'll grant us uh, faith to see um, your work being done throughout this world. We pray you would raise up men and women from our church who would uh, consider their lives worth nothing if only they may finish the task given to us the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace, that it would be our ambition to preach Christ where it had not been preached, so that we would not lay upon another man's foundation. And Lord, you would use us here um, by crossing the street with the gospel, and you would use us by crossing borders uh, into foreign lands to preach the gospel uh, to people not known to us. Oh Lord, we Uh, Just commit our future to you, commit our church to you, and may you use us according to the the way you see fit. We pray for our partners overseas, we pray for all our missionaries, our, 
our fellow workers in the gospel, O Lord, you would um, remind them of our remind them of our love towards them, and grant them much grace and strength, and they would uh, be faithful to you, in, 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 in your work and the ministry of the gospel and building up of the church, and as we are united by Christ, Lord, you would uh, grant us, O God, this continued uh, joy as we minister together. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to Marcus, Amy, Lydia, Mark, and Rosie. We thank you for sending them, using them, and bringing them back safely. We thank you for the good report, and we just uh, look forward to seeing how you will grow them uh, through their experience uh, this past few weeks, and how you use them from this point on. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's transition a bit. We focus our hearts and our thoughts and our minds to the Gospel of John. John 17, verses 20 to 23. I did not plan on preaching uh, 13 sermons on the on 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. If God wills, we will finish this next week. So it will be a 14th sermon series on John 17. We had a profitable study last week about um, spiritual ministerial unity, how that's a result of fruit, of doctrine, and holiness. Last Sunday night, I was sitting with my wife talking and just talking about church and about the message, and one more application point came to mind, and kind of start by sharing with you an application in light of last week's sermon. We talked about how what unites us as a church, what unites true believers is our pursuit of truth, our pursuit of doctrine, and our pursuit of holiness. The degree we're pursuing these things, that degree we're united. The degree we're not pursuing these things, we're not united. So in light of that, one more application point to everyone. It's a, it's a good way, a good paradigm through which we can evaluate, you can evaluate your marriage. Evaluate your relationship with your husband and wife. What is it that unites you with your spouse? What is the source of your unity with your husband or wife? What is the source of your joy in your marriage? What are the things that bring you together, that you talk about the most? What are the things that you have in common with your husband or wife? I strongly encourage you to evaluate your marriage. And Are you united by just your emotions towards one another? United by sentimentality? United by maybe children? United by just a building? You, know, you live in the same home, sleep in the same bed? Or are you truly united by the pursuit of truth together? Pursuit of God's, Jesus' revelation of who God is? Are you united both by pursuing holiness, practical holiness together? As we said last week, if you're not united by these things, you're united by, it's a false unity. It's an incomplete unity. This applies to all those, those two couples that are engaged in our church. For all of you that are dating as well, are you united by these things? 
For in these things alone, you, it is true unity that honors the Lord. What about your friendships? What about your friendships in the church? What unites you um, in your relationship with your friends? Is it having fun? Is it basketball? Right? Is it some hobby? Is it some common experiences, common background issues? Or is it truly Christ? Is doctrine that which unites you? Is it pursuit of holiness? Evaluate your friendships. Evaluate your relationships in light of these things. And maybe you will find that a lot of your relationships are based on the wrong things. And it's a shallow relationship. It's really not a Christian fellowship, Christian friendship. In fact, it's really a worldly, secular, self-centered relationship. You need to either break up from such relationships or repent and have a talk with your friend so that your fellowship, your unity is based on Christ first and foremost. Turn with me, open your Bibles to John 17. Here we will now begin our study in the second to the last passage of this chapter, verses 20 through 23. 20 through 23 of John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Set up the context again, quickly. It is the eve before our Lord's death on the cross. His... 33 years of life on earth is coming to an end. His long ministry of three and a half years is also coming to an end. He had just comprehensively, exhaustively taught his disciples in the upper room, 14 through 16. He turns his attention away from the disciples and he directs his eyes heavenward and he prays audibly. And that is significant. He prays audibly because he wants the disciples to hear his prayer. And he wants the Apostle John to record this prayer. And therefore he wants you and I to know the content of our Lord's prayer. So that we would know on the eve of his death, we want, he wants us to know what was in his heart. He wants us to know his greatest desires, his greatest hopes, his petitions on our behalf before the Father for us. He wants us to know. Therefore, He wants us to study it. He wants us to intimately know this, this prayer so that we might pray this prayer for ourselves and for one another and that we might pursue these things so that we might be an answer, a fulfillment of Christ's prayer on the eve of His humiliation. Now, as we have come to verses 20 and 23, I was surprised. There is 
such an adventurous element to expository preaching. I never really know what I'm going to find. Week by week, I mean, I dive with both, you know, with, with both feet into the text, and I don't know where I'm going to come out. I don't know what the conclusions will be. And I found to my joy and surprise at the conclusions that are found in our passage for this morning, I found in our text, verses 20-23, a biblical philosophy of local evangelism and global missions. You find God's prescription on how we are to evangelize the gospel to this lost world. In our text, we find the answer to the following questions. How do I witness the gospel? How do I share the gospel to my family members? We find the answer. How can I tell my parents, tell my sister, tell my relatives, my my aunts and uncles, my nieces and nephews, how can I tell them about Christ and modern Christianity so that they might see the power of the gospel, believe believe and be saved? We find the answer to this question, what is God's ordained means by which I am to effectively share the gospel to my family, friends, and co-workers, to my fellow students, to my acquaintances? Answers one more question. How can I prepare myself to be an effective evangelist? And how can I prepare myself to be a missionary? You might be sitting there this morning hearing Bob sharing and Marcus is sharing and my sharing about the conference and you're saying in my heart, man, send me in coach. Give me the ball. Man, I I want a shot. I want to contribute. I want to do something. Even if it's just rebounding, right, boxing out, I want to do something to contribute beyond just here at home but throughout the world. Therefore, I aspire, I dream about missions. Well, the question is, how can you prepare yourself to be a global missionary, a worker for the gospel throughout the world? We find the answer here. And it was a surprise to me that I'll find that in this text. In our text this morning, we find the God-ordained three-step process by which the world will come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find the three-step process, and to my joy, it fits perfectly with our current understanding of God's Word and our philosophy of ministry here at Cornerstone. We have a philosophy of ministry at our church. We have a strategy of reaching out to our family members and friends and, and overseas missions. And as I studied this passage, it filled my heart with joy. There was delight in my heart because it fits perfectly. I don't have to give a, I was wrong sermon. I don't have to come up here and change our strategy, change our philosophy. You know, you work on a jigsaw puzzle and you, got, you think you got a whole section set and you discover later on to your regret that it was all wrong. So you have to break it apart and start over. Or you're going one direction for a few hours and you find out Someone else is driving, me, I'm driving, and I tell you, you know what, I've been going the wrong direction for three, three hours, we've got to turn around, there'll be a little bit of bitterness towards me. Right? You just waste you know, gas prices these days, what are you doing? 
Well, see, if we had to make a U-turn now, after seven years of evangelism, after many years of global missions, if we were to say, you know what, I discovered something in John 17, 20 to 23, we'd be doing it wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, go to your family and tell them, I take it back. Right, can I repeat, delete this, you know, past few years, and we've got we to gotta do it over. That would be difficult. That would be awful. But that is not the case. We don't have to make a U-turn. We don't have to start over again. Our text this morning tells us to continue what we are doing. Or at least what most of us are doing. Maybe we can use these uh, three points to evaluate our current approach to evangelism. Our current philosophy of missions and evangelism. And really discern whether we're doing it biblically or whether we're doing it unbiblically. My, my proposal is this, my thesis, my conclusion from my study is this. That John 17, really this passage for the whole chapter gives us three distinct commitments that God has commanded to us which the, through which the world will know and believe in Jesus Christ as, our, as their Lord and Savior. Three ways in which we make the doctrine of our God and Savior beautiful and attractive. Three different pursuits. Label it any way you want. Three different commands. Three distinct commitments by which you and I will be effective in the gospel ministry to the world. We have gone through 17 thus far, verse by verse. We have, in actuality, studied these three commitments already, but we're going to thread it in light of the ultimate commitment, ultimate purpose of these three commitments. The three commitments are doctrine, holiness, and unity. Doctrine, commitment, doctrine, holiness, and unity. This is, these are the three God-ordained ways by which we are to Win the world for Christ. First commitment is found in verse 11. Our Lord prayed, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He considered himself given over to the Father, given over to, the, to death already. The decision has been made. I am coming to you, he cried out. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Someone emailed me today, uh, this week and asked me, what does that mean again? Keep them in your name. Well, to that brother, here it is. All right, what is Christ praying? Go up to verse 6. Our Lord prayed, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. John 1.18, Christ said, No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Jesus revealed God's character, God's attributes, who God is. And revealing God's name is a, sum, is a summarizing way of declaring that He revealed God's character to the world. The world rejected it. The world rejected the Father revealed by the Son except for these eleven they received Christ's revelation of the Father. That He is a holy Father. That He is righteous. That He is just. And He demonstrated on the cross. 
by His uh, sufferings on the cross, by His uh, physical agony, physical pain, the crown of thorns on His head, the lashes on His back, His, his body that was, that was broken in terms of open flesh and, 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 and scars, revealed God's hatred for sin. And that God will judge sin even if it's found in His only Son. Revealed the holiness of God and God and Christ revealed that. But on the cross and through His ministry, through His teachings, Christ also revealed the love of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God. That through the cross, God demonstrates His love for us. Romans 5, 8 and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ revealed the nature of God. And these men received it. They accepted it. They embraced it. 1 John 5.20, John said this, We know that the Son of God has come and, and has given us understanding. Jesus Christ came and gave us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. So that we may know Him who? Who's Him? So that we may know God who is true. He is the true God and eternal life. John said, Jesus came so that we might know God. So Christ's prayer was, Father, keep them in Your name. Keep them in the truth. Keep Keep them according to the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. Keep them, in essence, in the Word of God. Father, protect them. Do not allow them to stray away in terms of their commitment to who God is. God's plan of salvation and God's moral commands for us. Do not let them stray to the right nor to the left. Our Lord revealed to us God's character through His life and now through the testimony of the apostles through Christ's words. So this prayer tells us that Christian life begins right here. Christian life begins with the Word of God. Begins with right doctrine. Begins with right theology. Not only that, Christian ministry, evangelism, and missions starts here as well. Right doctrine, biblical theology, and a word truth is the basis of our Christian lives. And it's the basis of Christian ministry. Knowledge of the Bible in no way hinders you from ministry. There's a wrong idea where scriptures hinder us. Knowledge of scripture or doctrine or theology hinder us from the gospel ministry. Hinders us from becoming effective ministers of the gospel. That's absurd. That's contrary, 100% contrary to the truth. The Bible and Bible alone uniquely equips and enables a believer for ministry and for evangelism. The first step to be an effective evangelist is to be a man or a woman who is gripped by the Word of God. You want to share the gospel to your family members? You want to share the gospel across the street? You want to go to missions in the future? It starts in your hearts. 
and if your heart is set aflame by the truth of God's Word, by being passionate for the truth, passionate for Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is given by God and it's profitable for all things so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And then he continues in chapter 4, Therefore, Timothy, because you are raised with the Word of God, because you are equipped by the Word of God, because your heart is set aflame and gripped by the Word of God, preach the Word in season and out of season. But Timothy is able to preach the Word if and only if he is first committed to the Word of God in his heart, the Word of God in his life, in his soul, in his in his mind, Pastor John Piper said, the word of God that saves and sanctifies is preserved in a book and therefore at the heart of every pastor's work. So let me just continue. At the heart of every flock shepherd, at the heart of every leader, at the heart of every small group leader, at the heart of every Christian, the heart of every Christian's work is book work. Book work, call it reading, meditation, reflection, study, exegesis, or whatever you will. A large and central part of our work is to wrestle God's meaning from a book and proclaim it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about pastors, but I would extend it to all Christians. We are fundamentally readers and teachers and proclaimers of the message of the book. Edwards understood this. That is why he said, that is why he made a resolution when he was 18 years old, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently, as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Martin Luther said, we can spare everything except the Word. He said, the Word of God did it all. Who, who accomplished the Reformation? And Luther said, the Word of God did it all. I simply read. I simply preached. Otherwise, I did nothing. God's Word did it all. It is one of the central components of God calling a prophet to do His work. You read this in the Old Testament. When God called um, uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came. God's word came to me. In Jeremiah 15, 16, to describe how God's word gripped his heart, he said, when your words came, I ate them. I ate. I, I, I chewed, I devoured your word and it became a part of me and they were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name. That was how Jeremiah was called. Same thing with Ezekiel. When God called Ezekiel to do his prophetic ministry, God told him, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. Ezekiel said, so I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat 
And God said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, Ezekiel said. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Moreover, he said to me down in verse 10 of chapter 3, Ezekiel, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. So here we find that reiterated in verse 11. Christ's prayer for us is that we will receive God's word and that God would keep us in God's word. So our commitment is to hold on to it. It's to, be, to stand fast the faithful word to devour it, to have our hearts gripped by the truths of God's Word. That's our first commitment, to be evangelists at home and abroad. The second commitment is again verse 17. Christ prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. The supreme and watershed issue in evangelism is not the heart condition of the people you know, your parents or your siblings, it, their heart condition is of no consequence. People in the Czech Republic, people in North Korea, that's no consequence. The supreme issue is the heart condition. It's your heart condition. The heart condition of the believer, that's the supreme issue. Christ prayed, not for the sanctification of the lost, not for the sanctification of the non-believer. He prayed for your sanctification and my sanctification teaching us there is a direct correlation between holiness and evangelism. God's concern, the Lord's concern is with us. If our hearts are gripped with truth, and if our hearts and lives are sanctified by that truth, evangelism, missions, is a foregone conclusion. That is our second commitment. And we talked about this weeks ago. This is so much, this is very much neglected in the church. People want to skip this part because it is so very difficult. Evangelism is easy, is it not? I mean, it's easy. I mean, it's joy. I mean, talk to Mark and Rosie. How hard was it to go to missions? Man, it was joy. I spent two, three weeks ministering the gospel and serving Christ overseas. I mean, every chance, you know, we get, we want to go to missions. Why? Because, really, that's not tough. The tough part is when you're at home, right? Tough part is at work with your boss. Tough part is your temptation that's within, or relationships with your spouse, with your children, right? You know, you were driving, I think we were driving down from the camp, and Hyun asked us, man, what... You know, elders, you know, what's the most difficult thing about being elders at Cornerstone? What's the most difficult thing in being a pastors? I was like, where's my list, you know? Like, how much time we got? But we were just talking and, I mean, really, ultimately, the toughest things is, our, first of all, our sanctification, right? I mean, great. Ministry would be easy if I was perfect. If I was, you know, pure and perfect, righteous, ministry is cake. But while I'm ministering, I got to, Right? Confront my sins and my weaknesses and Bob as well and our limitations, our inadequacies. And that's a challenge. And the second challenge is you guys. Right? Your sanctification. We can't 
overlook this step. In fact, down in verse 19, it is such a monumental task that Christ consecrated Himself. Verse 19, I consecrate Myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. He set him apart, Himself apart for our sanctification, meaning His whole life, to model the Christian faith, to model uh, biblical obedience, God-honoring obedience, to model redemptive suffering, to model all these things. He set Himself apart and gave Himself for us so that you and I might be sanctified. Now, stay with me here, okay? Stay with me. The progression is, uh, stay in the Word, be in the Word, and be sanctified. But it's not, let's go and evangelize. The third commitment is not, each of us, be lone ranger Christians out there, and herald the Gospel, and stand for Christ. That is not His will in John 17. The Lord's formula is, the third commitment, unity with the local church that is based upon truth and holiness. Unity with the church based on truth and holiness. Verse 20, 21, verse 23. I mean, we spent three sermons on this. I don't want to belabor this point. But our Lord's will is that we are kept in the singular truth of God and that we grow in holiness based upon that truth so that in order that we might be completely and perfectly united in Christ. So the result of doctrine, result of holiness is unity. And it is through our unity we are to evangelize the world. Through our love for one another the world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father. The world will know that God loves the Son. That God loves believers. Does that make sense? The ultimate purpose there of these three pursuits? We're not pursuing doctrine just so that we would puff our heads with knowledge about right doctrine. We're not pursuing holiness so that we would be holy we would isolate ourselves in the sinful world that we're pure and a righteous group, you know, separating ourselves from this a sinful world. We're not seeking unity so that we can all have the, you know, f- you know, the, uh, the fuzzy feeling in our hearts as we hold hands and, you know, sing songs and we, we're nice to each other and we're united. That's not the purpose of these pursuits. Christ prays and through His prayer tells us that, again, truth and holiness is for the purpose of unity. And the purpose of unity is evangelism. And let me give you a cheesy illustration. You know, my illustrations are hard for me. You know, and uh, I was telling Bob and Hyun, you know, I've got to start reading Shakespeare or something. You know, I've got to read, like, noble literature because then, you know, for you high-thinking people of our church, you know, it'll help you. But, I only have a low-level illustration today, so I apologize ahead of time. I asked a pastor friend of mine, do you use movies for illustrations? He said, yeah, I do, but James, there's a trick to that. Well, what's the trick? Call them films. Don't call them movies. It sounds more nobler. Oh, that's very good. I've got to use that. So I'm going to refer to a film. It was popular in the 80s. And so there might be, a, I don't know, generation gap here, but 
You know, when I was growing up in high school, Karate Kid was a huge movie. Right? Ralph Macchio, right? The guy from Happy Days, Arnold, doing karate, right? And with that movie, if you had not seen the movie, you know, it's not worth it. But I'll just tell you the whole story. He wins at the end, by the way, okay? He'll give it away, but... So he's a new kid on the block, going to school. He's bullied by some kids in school. And then while he's being bullied, his apartment manager, is uh, Mr. Miyagi, comes. And he does karate and beats him up. And Ralph Macchio's like, wow, that's great. You know, I want to be your disciple. Teach me karate, right? So I can defend myself. Disciple me, train me. So he goes to his house. and He's got a Japanese garden. And what does he make him do? Wax on and wax off. Uh, he does that for like several days, several weeks, and then okay. Step two, paint on, or paint up and paint down, right? And Rob Macho is thinking, hey, I want to punch somebody. I want to kick. I want to beat someone up. What is all this wax on, wax off stuff, paint up and paint down? Now, what is the purpose of all of this? You know, a friend of mine, when I saw the movie in high school, we were coming out of the movie theater, and he was saying, James, did you know when he was doing that, it was for the purpose of karate? I'm like, come on, the title is not Home Improvement Kid, you know? <laughs> the title is not like, you know, Home Construction Kid, it's Karate Kid, it's obvious, you, you think you're so smart. Everybody in the theater knew what was going on, right? Well, the purpose wasn't for him to learn how to do, you know, put wax off and wax on, whatever, or put paint. The point where for, ultimate purpose was for him to learn the moves for karate, right? And, and he wins in the end. Well, same thing here. That's the parallel. These three a priori commitments for all believers, doctrine, holiness, and unity, are not the ends. They're not the uh, purposes. They're not ends to themselves. All of them are a means to an end of evangelism and missions. Now, I say this because there is such a temptation for us to skip these steps. We want to evangelize. We want to be missionaries. We want to minister. We want to lead in the church. You know, we have several times, we have members' interviews, and people say, I want to teach in the church. I want to be a leader. Right? I want to be a flock shepherd. I mean, that's their first desire. And that's, that's a good thing, but you have to put the wax on and the wax off first, right? You have to do the paint up. You can't skip these steps. I know you want to, but before you can be an evangelist or a missionary or a leader, you have to grow in doctrine. You have to be, you have to grow in practical holiness. And you have to be united with the church. United with the body of believers. See, I think people want to skip these steps because they want to compensate for the lack of knowledge of the Bible by doing missions work. Right? They want to cover up their lack of holiness, their lack of character, their lack of maturity, their poor relations and family by doing ministry. Right? Doing something tangible. They want to escape from their relational issues, their, their difficulty with loving one another, being selfless, being humble, being caring, by, by doing, going to the end, skipping these steps, so you can kind of cover up the relational uh, uh, difficulties or even defects. It's a backwards approach to evangelism, missions, and ministry. 
if you skip or bypass these steps or to the extent you ignore these commitments to that degree, you are and you will be ineffective as a minister of Jesus Christ. Does that argument make sense? There are nine hina uh, purpose clauses here in John 17. So that, so that, so that, and order that. The last so that are found in this passage. Father, keep them in your name. Doctrine. Father, sanctify them in order that they might be united, might be one. Verse 23, completely one. Why? So that... Right, verse 21, the world may believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. See, we witness together, not alone. It's a corporate evangelism. We stand alone together for the gospel in this world. Our commitment to the Lord's revelation, our commitment to holiness, and our commitment to one another in unity, Christ said, confirms that He was sent by the Father. Go down to verse 23. And then He adds, So that the world may know that the church is loved by God the Father, just as He loved the Son. Listen to this. The power of our evangelism the power of our evangelism, is our unity that is based on truth and holiness. Our unity based on truth and holiness is proof to the world that He loves us, that we are the loved by God, we are the chosen of God, we are the elect of God. Just as God the Father loved the Son, He loves us. What is the proof? Is our commitment to doctrine, our commitment to holiness, and our love for one another. You know, I, I don't know if this is a hyperbolic statement or a right statement or not. So, you know, I qualify that. You know, the church right now is divided, but I would contend there's one more, one institution that is more divided than the church. And that is the family. Right? Families are divided. I mean, 50% divorce rate. Right? And so you go to any family, and so you go to a Christian family, and they say, oh, we're, we're Christians. And we're loved by God. And you go and you spend the week with them and everybody hates each other. Right? There's no unity. They're not talking to one another. Right? The children aren't honoring the parents. Right? Parents are not united in their roles. The wife is leading. The husband is cowering. Right? You know, the children, child-centered family, children are leading the family. And there's chaos. There's no order. There's no unity or agreement. There's no same pursuits. Would you, after a week spending time with that family, would you say, wow, they're loved by God. That family is so blessed. Man, God has just blessed that family. You would come out of that experience and say, you know, I don't know. They say that they're loved by God. They say they're Christians. But by how they live, I don't know if that's the truth. But let's say you went to another family, you spent a week with them 24-7, and you saw genuine unity. Genuine unity. You found each of the members striving to know the truth of God's Word. You found each of the members of the family striving to live according to the truth of God's Word. And you saw them living lives of integrity, discipline, and servanthood. You saw how they related to one another. They loved, respected, and honored their parents. They submitted to their parents' 
desires and their parents' commands. There was genuine loyalty and faithfulness to their parents' desires and decisions. The children earnestly loved and cared for one another. They were perfectly living in tune with one another, moving together beautifully as a symphony. They lived together in peace and mutual love, united in truth, living out the truth and in purpose. And you would say, they might not be a rich family. You know, they might not have a lot of possessions. You know, they might not have a lot of things in this world. But man, I don't remember ever seeing a family so united and loving one another, united in, to their parents, to one another. Man, I've never seen that. That's a miracle. Right? That doesn't exist. They are loved by God. God has blessed them. And that's proof that their testimony that Jesus is sent by God is true. You enlarge that, and that's what Christ is saying here. That in the church, that we evangelize not by... You know, there's so many missionaries. I tell you, you know, so many missionaries that I met this weekend and I know personally, they love missions, they don't like the church. They don't, they don't love the church. They don't love Christians. They love missions. That's backward. Right? That's not how we're to be. We all do our own ministry, not caring about the church, not caring about fellow believers, because the proof that Christ came from the Father is our unity based on truth and doctrine, truth and holiness. Well, three final thoughts to close our time. Number one, you want to be a missionary. I mean, you want to be a powerful witness to your parents. Right? You want to win people over, your co-workers, your friends, your extended relatives. I mean, I'm talking about not strangers, people that are in your life. You want to win them over? Number one, study the Word of God. Doctrine is indispensable to be an effective evangelist. Message is far more important than the method. Current Christianity is just enamored and obsessed with methods and programs. That's nothing. Programs is nothing. Methods have no power. It's the gospel that is the power of the salvation. It's the word of God. The message is important, not the method. So many want to bypass this step. And they have a simplistic, shallow, really a cursory understanding of the gospel. And that, they think that's enough to go out and minister. Instead, what you and I need is a thorough, in-depth heart-flaming knowledge of truth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, if, I, if God said, Charles, you have 25 years of ministry, I would study for 20 years and minister for five. Right? You know, current pastors, their mindset is, I will study for two minutes, right? and I'll minister for 24 years, and you, you do the math. Right? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if I had five years, I would study for three Study for three years. First step. You want to be an effective evangelist? You want to be a mission in the future? Man, know the Bible. Read the Puritans. Read Calvin. Read Thomas Manton. I mean, be a student of the Word of God because this has direct impact on your evangelism. Number two, sanctification. Pursue sanctification. And I've got a good story for this one. I was having lunch at the conference, lunch with a, a missionary who is living in North Korea. 
one of the handful of non, uh, non-North Koreans to be living in North Korea. He's got five business licenses. He's got factories there making plastics, goat's milk, employing North Koreans and sharing the gospel to them informally. And he's been there for years. He, got, he has three children raising kids in North Korea. I mean, this guy is the man. I mean, young guy, a little bit older than me, so a very young guy. And... <laughs> You know, he was a Korean-American, he was at San Jose working for applied materials, and you know, he wanted to go, and he went, and he's doing God's work there. We're having lunch, there was a couple sitting next to him, and they wanted to go to North Korea and China on the missions. They're headed off in two years, and they asked him, how can we prepare ourselves to do ministry in such a difficult place? What can we do now so that we can be effective missionaries? And you know what he said? They're thinking, like, should we go to seminary? Right? Should we go to Bible college? Should we take, go to a special seminar? And he said this. He said, pursue Christ, grow in maturity, and be faithful in your church, and prove that you are mature Christians in your church. He says, you know you're ready to come to North Korea when in your church, people that know you, they come to you for prayer. They come to you for counsel. They come to you for spiritual assistance. When you have that kind of life at your church, you're ready for North Korea. If in your own community, right, you're not above reproach, you're not sanctified, the people that know you are in your own church, if they can affirm you, he told them, don't come. Because you're not going to make it out there. You know you're ready when your own church respects you and affirms you. When you can live a sanctified life here. See, we want to skip this step. Because it's harder to confront our our character flaws, our selfishness, our sinfulness here. It's easier in the mission field. It's easier for three weeks to live the Christian life. It's hard in the ebb and flow, going to work, raising kids. Right, church content, relational issues, you know, making mortgage payments, car payments, getting insurance for all these things. In that kind of context to live out the Christian life is much more difficult. But this is the testing ground. This is the step that will enable us to be effective missionaries, evangelists and missionaries. Pursue that here. And finally, the third commitment, you want to be an effective evangelist here and abroad, be united with the church. Unity with fellow believers. Here we're talking about relational unity. Loving one another, caring for one another, serving one another. Abounding in good works towards one another. Are you abounding in good works towards one another? Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Paul said, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, as opportunities rise up before you, let us do good to everyone. And then he qualifies that by saying, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good to everyone. Upon the good works to everyone, family, friends, neighbors, do good to everybody. But your priority, our priority of good works is to fellow Christians. Our highest love highest expression of love by doing good deeds to be shown to fellow believers. More importantly though, unity in terms of spiritual unity, ministerial unity, where you're united with 
the elders, united with your flock shepherd. That's where unity begins. United with your leaders, and then unity with one another. I was at the conference. I talked to a young single girl. She's a late 20s, a paralegal. She's, she's from a, actually a pretty good church. And I asked her if she's interested in China North Korea. She said she was. And I said, I know her pastor. Is your pastor and church interested in this area? And she said, no, my pastor and church, they're interested in another part of the world. She said, this is my thing. This is what I'm doing. I said, said, that's not right. That's not right. If you want to do evangelism, you want to do ministry, you want to do missions, it's God's word, sanctification, and unity with the church. And through the local church, we stand for the gospel as one man. It's not individually, apart from the church. We appoint ourselves. We're self-willed. We lay hands on our own heads and say, I'm a missionary. You know, I'm a pastor now. I'm a minister. Who sent you? I sent myself. Right? Why are you here? Because I affirm my own character, my theology, and my calling. That's, that's, you know, that's out of control. You're self-willed. You're disqualified. Right? You, you, I get invited to speak at campuses and churches. I go to Bob. It's Bob. Can I go? Because I don't want to go on my own. Bob. And if you say no, I'm, I'll fully submit your decision, right? Because if I go, I want to represent Cornerstone sending me. Marcus, our winner team. Likewise, we sent them. They didn't go on their own. Unbelievable at this point. Well, you want to be effective missionaries. We had it right here. Right? In large prayer. It's consistent with our, our, our philosophy, our understanding of Scripture, our ministry. May we seek to live out Christ's prayer in our lives. May we seek to live out Christ's prayer in our church so that the world may know that Jesus is God, God's Son, Savior of the world, that the world may know the Father has loved us just as He loved the Son. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank You for teaching us from Your Word. As young men and women, we can easily get so ahead of ourselves and, and think about um, doing your work around the world and neglect uh, what your will is, what your prayers for us are. Lord, help us to be sober-minded. Help us to be still. Help us to be discerning and wise and know that Evangelism and global mission starts with us, starts in our hearts, starts with us knowing your truth, pursuing practical holiness, being united with the church, and it starts with our family, starts with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and affirmed by the church continues throughout the world. Lord, we pray for such men and women to be raised up here at our church. Men and women who will not skip these steps, who will not be pragmatic, who will not be self-willed, but who will fully submit themselves to your word so that they might effectively, for the long haul, uh, glorify you by the gospel ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.